welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. Wisconsin Supreme Court elections are supposed to be nonpartisan, but in a bitter and expensive race, Rebecca Dallet, the winner, and Michael Scrinock turned the elections into a political referendum against Governor Scott Walker and President Donald Trump, who Dallet even referenced in television ads during the campaign. He's attacked our civil rights and our values. She'll protect them. I'm Rebecca Dallet. For over 20 years, I've been a prosecutor and a judge, delivering justice to victims and their families in some of the toughest cases of rape and child abuse. Joining us is Michael Bologna, reporter for Bloomberg News. Michael, this is the first time in 23 years that a liberal non-incumbent has won a seat on Wisconsin's high court, and it's officially a nonpartisan race, but it turned into a political referendum. Tell us about that. Well, um, that, that's perhaps not not surprising. Even though these are uh, uh, nonpartisan races, uh, the, the 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 candidates, uh, uh, you know, campaign as as liberals and conservatives. So uh, that, that everyone's leanings were well known, and there was uh, influence from uh, you know the National Rifle Association for for Skrenek and uh, perhaps. A, Planned Parenthood and Democratic groups for Rebecca Dallet. So it, it, it's been a highly politicized court, and it's not surprising that uh, the leanings of these uh, of these uh, candidates were well known by the voters. Is it unusual, though, to see this much outside money come into a race like this uh, from from national political groups? Well, the, 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 there was a lot of outside money that came into this campaign, but that said, it's a it's been a highly politicized court for ten years, and there's been a lot of outside money going back as far as uh, 2008. Um, in, in the scheme of things, this was an expensive race in in Wisconsin, but there's actually been more expensive Supreme Court races uh, going back two and four years ago. Michael, this narrows the conservatives' advantage on the court from five to two to four to three. Are there many decisions that go straight down partisan lines? Yes, this is a, <laughs> it's a highly partisan uh, Supreme Court. Um, I, I don't know if that's really common in in a lot of other states, but it certainly has been in Wisconsin. And I mean, Wisconsin has been a very uh, polarized political climate, certainly over the last eight years with Republicans controlling really all levers of, of state government, the, the, certainly the governor's mansion and both, uh, um, both chambers of the, uh, uh, of the legislature. Now, of course, uh, after the results of this Supreme Court race, Michael, we've uh, seen the comments and the tweets from Republican Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker warning his supporters of a possible blue wave uh, coming uh, in Wisconsin. Uh, how concerned should Republicans be uh, in, in, the, in the state given that result? Well, I think they should be, and I mean, uh, Scott Walker maybe was the best advertisement uh, for, for Democrats going forward with his, his tweets that night. 
Um, and this isn't the only uh, uh, indicator. I mean, we had a, uh, a state senate seat uh, in, in a really kind of a red district just a, a few weeks ago that went uh, to a Democrat, uh, and that certainly caught Walker's attention. Um, there was also a, a ballot uh, initiative over the state treasurer that went against Walker in the same election, which uh, Dallet won. Uh, so that was that was another indicator. So. There's a number of things. I think there's a certain level of Republican fatigue and Walker fatigue going on across the state at the moment. Michael, this election also means that six of the court's seven justices will be women, which is unusual. I don't know any other uh, court offhand that has that. Uh, Was that mentioned at all or considered? Uh, I, I mean, I, I'm sure that pe- people notice this. It's 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 an encouraging and interesting uh, development. Um, I, I can't say it, it it was planned or anything, but uh, I, I, apparently the electorate uh, uh, believes that this is a good thing, and maybe uh, a little bit more balance will come from that. You know, Michael, a lot of folks here, here in Washington watch races like this and uh, sort of look at them to see whether uh, any tea leaves can be read in terms of uh, midterm implications for uh, other races across the country. Uh, is it appropriate to read a Wisconsin uh, Supreme Court race in in that context? Well, yeah, I think so, um, because, you know, Trump's... Um, uh, you know, antics over his first year in office came out in the advertising uh, during the campaign. Um, and, uh, you know, Wisconsin is a purple state, so to speak, but it, it, it appears through this race and the, the other race that I talked about uh, that, it, that it might be trending bluer, uh, you know, going into November. And obviously, you know, Scott Walker is concerned about that. Michael, about 45 seconds here. Walker was forced by the courts to set special elections for two empty legislative seats. Was there a discussion of that during this campaign? Uh, probably there wasn't a lot of discussion about that, just because that all came up just in the last uh, 10 days or so. Um, uh, I mean, it, it's, it's something that I'm sure some voters were concerned about, and it, that whole situation kind of embarrassed Walker and Republicans, uh, made them look a little silly uh, at the last moment. It's, it's hard to say that that might have been had much impact on the race, though. Well, thank you, Michael. That's Michael Bologna, reporter for Bloomberg News. Next Tuesday, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg will appear before a joint session of the Senate Commerce, Science and Transportation Committee and the Senate Judiciary Committee. But before his big day on Capitol Hill, the Facebook co-founder held a call with reporters yesterday where he gave more details about Cambridge Analytica's improper data usage. I'm quite confident, given our analysis, that it is not more than 87. Um, It very well could be less, but we wanted to put out the maximum that we felt that it could be as as soon as we had that analysis done. On its website, Facebook also said said that data on most of its 2 billion users could have been accessed improperly by malicious actors. Joining us from our Bloomberg 99.1 studios in Washington is Matthew Schettenhelm, Bloomberg Intelligence Media Analyst. Matt, one of the things Zuckerberg said yesterday was we didn't take a broad enough view of what our responsibility was, and that was a huge mistake. But Facebook has been under a 20-year consent decree 
to safeguard users' personal information. There were hearings last year on the Russian use of Facebook during the election. There have been other instances of leaked data. So does this seem like just another incident in a long line? Uh, it, it certainly doesn't. It seems a little bit different, and and it's it's in some ways really remarkable, June, that that we're we're suddenly talking seriously about regulation of internet companies. We're we're coming off a history of some twenty years when, when this this wasn't a serious idea at all. When Congress uh, really had, took a, a hands off approach to the to these companies, but this is a story that isn't going away anytime soon. And I think it's, 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 it's a serious conversation that needs to be had, even though I think there, there's real, real doubts that, that this Congress is, is likely to move on serious material legislation anytime soon. Why do you have those doubts? Well, for a number of reasons. One, that history that we talked about. We, there, this Congress has, has for, for decades said, look, we're not going to touch this area. The Internet is thriving. We're not going to get in the way of it. Two, that's sort of consistent with this Congress's DNA. This Republican-controlled Congress prides itself on cutting away regulations, not building new ones. And so does this president. And, and third – Congress doesn't really have a have have a, a grasp on this problem yet. Uh, you know, they're they're trying to get their hands on just understanding what has gone on and 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 how can they fix it. But I think they're far removed from actually addressing that in any sort of concrete way. What I think this is for now is exploring the issue making a lot of noise about it to insist that the companies move to, to do a better job. But, but the, 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 the prospect of, of serious legislation anytime soon strikes me as pretty unlikely. Matt, does Facebook have a handle on this incident? I think that remains to be seen. I think they're still trying to figure that out themselves. Uh, and as a public relations matter, I think they've struggled uh, in terms of what is the actual underlying problem. I think they're they're just starting to begin to figure that out uh, each day as they look a little bit closer. So it's it's uh, uh, truly a giant that they've created, and they're only themselves now beginning to understand uh, how to control it. Yeah, the, uh, the chief operating officer of Facebook, Sheryl Sandberg, is uh, uh, giving interviews now. She's going to be giving an interview to uh, Bloomberg's Emily Chang here on Bloomberg Radio and Television in just about an hour. She's also been uh, speaking with Bloomberg technology reporter Sarah Fryer, uh, who says that uh, Sandberg told her that uh, the tool that Facebook's using to let people share their friends' data with developers does comply with the uh, 2011 privacy agreement, the, the uh, consent decree that it came to with the Federal Trade Commission. So obviously, I mean, Sandberg and Facebook as a whole are, are really trying to defend themselves here, if nothing else. Yeah, that's right. And and I, I think you, you've probably seen a lot of stories about the FTC investigation and how there's the threat of, you know, $40,000 uh, civil penalty per violation. So you do 40,000 times 50 million users and you get to an astronomical number. So Facebook needs to adopt a strong legal position and say, no, we did not uh, act inconsistent with that 2012 consent decree. And that's what you're seeing from, from Sheryl Sandberg now. I think Facebook, there's something to be said for that. I don't think that this is a clear case, uh, at least if we take what the company has said to be true, that that Facebook took the, the user's privacy settings and directly defied them. This is sort of, uh, sort of 
technically uh, tangentially related to that. And so what, what I suspect what you'll end up with um, is, is the FTC and Facebook working out some sort of solution where, where this is a, a slap on the wrist, maybe a pretty serious uh, monetary civil penalty connected to it, but nothing in terms of the astronomical numbers that, that you've heard before. In some ways, it's in Facebook's interest to, to have the FTC as a cop on the beat here because it dissuades Congress from stepping in and, and adopting something much more intrusive, really getting into uh, the core of their business, which is really the big concern from, from, from the Facebooks and Googles. Um, Matt, isn't that the problem, though, that another consent decree uh, getting off again and there, nothing, you know, these mistakes after mistake, they're not intentional, even if they're not intentional, they're still happening over and over again. And the privacy of millions of Americans is at stake. So does someone else have to step in besides the FTC? And I, I think I think that's something that we're going to be talking about for a while. I, I don't think Congress is, is going to solve it quickly. I don't think Facebook is going to solve it quickly. And so we're going to be continually talking about this conversation uh, probably for for the years to come until uh, we, we, we someone can, can start to find some more solutions there. And while there is all this attention on the vulnerability of people's private information uh, at this point, I mean, there have been revelations, not just with Facebook, but with many other actors that uh, have an internet presence presence and uh, the, the the exposure that people are giving themselves uh, with their private information. Given that, do you, do you see any serious effort on the part of the users uh, to do more to, to shore up their own security or even to uh, follow this, uh, you know, quote unquote, hashtag delete Facebook movement? I, I think that has to be a concern uh, of, of the company. I mean, yesterday Zuckerberg said, no, we haven't seen anything, you know, material in that in that way. But I I, I think that's a risk, I think. And, and, and what you're seeing from the company in terms of, of Zuckerberg's response it is has to be in part aimed at at comforting users and, and saying, look, this this is something that we have a grasp on. This is that we we're going to take a broader view of our responsibility. That's something you heard him say repeatedly yesterday. Sort of go beyond what the law allows and look out for your interests, user. Uh, and I think that message is aimed at protecting uh, that that user base, which is so important to Facebook's success. And uh, in that interview, uh, Sheryl Sandberg's interview with Emily Chang, she said that uh, a few advertisers have paused their spending. And isn't that what it's all about? The user data is connected to Facebook's revenue. That, that is exactly what it's all about. And so the concerns are, yes, if, if the advertisers flee and if Congress, you know, eventually gets really serious about this and says, no, Facebook, you can't use all this data that you've collected about users unless people give you permission on the front end. Uh, that's the only way that this is really going to be disruptive to Matt, Facebook. And I don't see that yet. We're going to have to end it there. That's Matt Schettenhelm, Bloomberg Intelligence Media Analyst. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.